Geeks United is on the air. Thanks for tuning in. Tonight is Blu-ray night. And uh, oh, what a night it will be. <laughs> first, we, we have our, uh, before we get into Blu-rays and Adam, we have uh, a special interview segment uh, to open up the show tonight. And Dean, who, who are you bringing us this evening? Well, I got an opportunity uh, to uh, see the new movie, Year by the Sea, uh, and its star, Karen Allen, is joining us tonight. Most everybody knows Karen Allen from from the Raiders of the Lost Ark series, and of course, uh, um, Animal House, and The Wanderers, and and, uh, Starman, which we discuss a little bit. But uh, mostly our discussion centers in on Year by the Sea, which is uh, a perfectly charming little movie uh, based on a Joan Anderson book about her uh, experiences trying to re-enter the outside world after uh, raising her children and and, uh, 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 seeing them off into the world of adulthood. Uh, She's a a sort of an empty nester, so she goes – she kind of does a uh, temporary split from her husband, played by uh, Michael Christopher, uh, who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, playwright, uh, wrote a uh, play called uh, The Shadow Box uh, many years ago, and also got nominated for an Oscar for uh, writing uh, Children of a Lesser God. Uh, so he's he's in it. He uh, plays sort of a, her kind of grumpy husband. Uh, Karen Allen is uh, it's rare to see her in a lead it, it's quite invigorating to see her again uh, she was very magnanimous in talking to us she was uh, 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 rushing about uh, uh, traveling and uh, we talked to her in between you know a couple of trains that she was catching and uh, so uh, anyway here is my discussion with Karen Allen about the new film, Year by the Sea. Take a listen. I can't believe he didn't tell you. Tell her what? Robin just asked me to list your house. Chuck's shutting down the Nyack office. Do I have any choice? Not now, huh? Why do you love me? Because you're my wife. Men love their wives and their mothers. Men may want out, but I think they usually set it up so women do the walking. The decision to separate seemed to happen overnight. I, you must be the renter. Is it that obvious? Nothing goes unnoticed in a small town. What if something happens to you out there all along? That's the whole point. I'm Joan. I'm Joan, too. (laughs) How do you stay so well-oiled? Dancing. I love to dance. Forgive me if I'm wrong here, but it feels like it's been a long time since you've had a lead role this this meeting, and I'm wondering if there are any parallels between what's going on in your in your own life and your real life that uh, attracted you to telling Joan Anderson's story on screen. Well, I, yeah, I think I think that there are. Um, uh, you know, my my son is now 27, so he's been. You know, he struck out in the world on his own, you know, some time ago. But, you know, I feel like this is a very universal story. And, and uh, you know, 
pretty much all of my friends and 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 acquaintances are have all been going through this on one level or another for maybe the last ten years. This sort of just transition away from, you know, parent parenting in that kind of day to day, week to week way, and um, you know, and watching their kids grow up and move out into the world and finding themselves faced with those, you know fascinating questions about what what now what next and and sometimes not even realizing the void that is being left in the wake of their children um, mm. you know creating their own lives um so so you know i i i found it um a very you know moving i loved her book i thought her book was a very courageous book um um, and and very you know she her her sense of self examination was fascinating. Do you live in the Berkshires? Do you still live there? Well, or... I've had a place there. For, I've had a place for about thirty years, and I've sort of divided mm-hmm. my time between New York City and the Berkshires. I I lived in New York City for uh, you know I don't know thirty five years or something. Um, and and then I I kind of you know, had this place just as as a place to escape to. And then I have at times just, you know, lived there for, you know, I, it, it's sort of gone back and forth between, you know, which is my more central, my central home. It depends. Like I work in New York City quite a bit. I direct in the theater and I act in the theater. So when I'm, you know, sometimes I'm there and that that's my central um Environment, and then other times I'm up in the countryside, which I also love. So it struck me that the movie felt like sort of a love letter to to that area, um, uh, because it, it just you know you just drink in those those uh, uh, beautiful vistas and everything while you're watching it. Uh, so well, the, that that what, the Cape is about as far away as you can get from me and still be in the same state. I had actually never been on the Cape before, so oh, okay. that was a whole new experience for me. Um, it's not far; it's about a four-hour drive from where my place is. But I just had never been in that direction before. I had been to Martha's Vineyard, which is south of where we were, but I had never been up onto the, actually what they call the Cape, the Cape, Cape Cod. Gosh, it was, it was just gorgeous. Did you, did you actually get to cavort with any of the seals that we see on the, on the screen? For well, I mean, as, as much as, as much as what you see, I mean, I got to get fairly close to them, but you, you can't, it's very dangerous to actually be close to them in the water itself because, you know, oh. they're, not that I, not that I think they would be particularly aggressive, but they, you know, just with a casual flip of the tail, they could knock you unconscious. <laughs> they weigh about 800 pounds. So, yeah. I, I was getting a little worried about your character in the movie because I was like, I don't want to see her get, <laughs> see her get over, overcome with seals, overrun, you know. <laughs> but uh, the director, Alexander Janko, comes from – a musical background, uh, and right. it actually composed the score as well uh, to the right. film. And and I'm wondering, uh, you know, if you felt like there were any challenges in working with – this was his first feature, I think. So were it there is. any challenges that you felt in terms of 
dealing with a first-time director, or I'm, which I'm sure you've done before. You know, I have. I've but, actually worked with quite a few first-time directors. He was extraordinarily open and interesting and interested in his work with the actor. And, um, you know, I I found, you know, from really the very beginning, from, from you know, early on when, when he cast me in the film and I started to have conversations with him and, and also with Joan Anderson, you know, that there was a, a kind of, you know, collaboratory quality that he had that you don't always find, particularly with first-time directors who can be so overwhelmed by the experience of doing their first film but he was very very open and I think it may have come from you know I mean he has a he has more of an experience of working with orchestras and with groups of people who really very much uh, are collaborative in what they're doing um, so I, I felt like there was some elements of of that that ran through the whole process. I mean, he he let us be involved in in work on the script in the in the first you know weeks that we were we were doing the film. And of course, he had he had a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright in in Michael Christopher who plays my husband. So right, so, um, you know, he uh, he could he could uh, you know turn to us at various times and. And you know, help you know, rely on us to kind of try and find you know uh, uh, an approach to the scene that was, you know, it's it's very difficult to turn a book into a film. You know, they they have books have a life of their own, and you know things can things can read very well, and then when you try to get them, you know, down into a script where people are actually speaking things, um, you know, you've, you've got a whole new challenge. Yeah. And especially, uh, I would imagine I haven't read, uh, uh, Joan Anderson's book, but, uh, I would imagine that a lot of it is very internal. Uh, it so, is, it uh, is very, yeah. yes, you're right. And, and, you know, as are many books. So it's, I think it's always fascinating the challenge of trying to take, you know the internal quality of of a lot of books, and to bring that out into a more external, you know, people speaking their thoughts as opposed mm. to thinking them. Um, you know, I, I've I've noticed over the past few years that there seems to be a plethora of films these days telling the story of you know women of a certain age, shall we say? And I mean uh, from from things like Sally Field's uh, uh, performance and and uh, Hello, My Name Is Doris to you know uh, uh, Black Danner in in uh, uh, I'll See You in My Dreams and so forth. Uh, do you, do you are you sensing that there's a, a sort of a sea change in terms of uh, people being uh, audiences being more interested in these kind of stories? Uh, yeah, I mean I, I think that there should at the very least be these kind of films available so that, you know, people in their 50s and 60s and 70s aren't completely stuck watching Marvel comic book movies because, honestly, they have a limited yeah. appeal. <laughs> um, so, and, and, and I honestly do believe that we are, this baby boomer generation, is a great you know, uh, audience for for films because we didn't grow up staring at 
you know, movies on our iPads, and we didn't, you know, we liked to go in and sit down and watch a film in a theater, and and um, you know, it's a it's a tradition for us. It has, you know, not any tradition at all for a lot of kids. I mean, they've grown up watching movies, you know, on their laptops. So I, I think that, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, I also have to say, you know, on my part as an actress of a certain age, you know, w- you know, we really would like to continue working and we would like to play roles that aren't just the dotty old aunt or something, you know. Where mm-hmm. you know where you really actually have a character that has some real layered complex life and is really has a story to tell. So um, you know, I think I think that uh, it seems it seems good. It seems good to have these kind of choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm glad they're out there. You know, personally. My focus is in movies about people. Uh, that's those are the movies that I really like uh, more than uh, more than movies about plot, I guess. And so yeah, uh, or movies about so, space aliens or or yes. people like, <laughs> people with like strange. Strange superpowers or something. Yeah, you know what I call them is suit movies. You know, because if you don't have the suit, you don't have a movie. So it's like you know. Uh, One other question in 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 connection with Year by the Sea. You know, when I look back at your first ten years in movies, when I look look back at those and I see titles like The Wanderers and Animal House and Small Circle of Friends, uh, which is a, a favorite of mine, uh, or, uh, you know, even Starman. Uh, it seems like in those days <clears throat> you were you were definitely in, in that realm of, like, you were hanging out with the boys pretty much in, all of, in, in a lot of those movies. And then one thing that's different in this uh, is that you're really hanging out with the girls this time, and uh, I, uh, you know, with Espeth and Murkison and and, uh, yeah. uh, uh, and Celia Emery and so forth. Well, I'm just yeah, you. You have me suddenly thinking, like, what other films have I done where I've worked with a lot of other women? I I, I know that there have been, and certainly in the theater, I've I've done I've done plays in the theater that were all women in the play but um you know it's it's nice that feminine energy yeah i have to say i i absolutely loved working with atepa and and celia and um yeah there's a there is a you know i would say just since i started making films there is a a growing sort of femininity in the film world whether you know whether it's in terms of the stories but also in terms of the crews. I mean, the crews were almost entirely masculine when I started making films. And now, you know, often there will be, you know, women in positions that I never use. I mean, women cinematographers and women on the actual, uh, you know, camera crew and women in sound and women in, you know, all kinds of areas that you just never saw women before. So it's become a much more um, balanced uh, world uh, which mm-hmm. which I, I really enjoy. I mean, you know, it, it was it was very. Uh, I did some films where I was occasionally the only woman in a crew, you know, in a group of a hundred people. 
was right. traveling. I mean, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, there was only one other woman in the film, and she was only on screen for about two minutes. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, our crew was largely, I think there was, a, you know, a person in the costume department who was a woman, and, you know, may, there were maybe two or three women on the entire crew. But, but you know, it's changed radically now, and mm. it's great. Yeah, that, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. I've been saying on the show for a long time that that uh, that uh, we need to have more female centric stories uh, because uh, it, it feels like the the storytelling in the feature film world has gotten a little. Um, well, for me, it's gotten a little dull and a little a little samey, I guess, <laughs> and that's because they're all stories told by men. You know? Yeah, and and it, and it, and they also move in the realm of, you know, extreme violence a lot. You know, I just I mm-hmm. feel like you know I'm just I feel like our world doesn't really need more films about people killing each other. It's it's you know it, it, yes, it's a part of our reality, but I just you know I've gotten to a point where, you know, <laughs> just like. I cannot sit and watch another two and a half hour film where I see twelve hundred people dismembered and shot. You know, it's, yeah. it's like at, at what point do we just say enough? You know, like enough. I can't, I can't cope with this anymore. Um, so I, I'm trying it's... to find stories that really have more to do with ways in which we want to live as opposed to ways in which we, you know, don't want to live. Um, uh, you know, uh, I was, it's, it's, I was just um, talking on the show about a movie that I watched recently from Japan from uh hero, Kozu uh, Koreeda. The movie is called um, our little sister. And it's great. If you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. It's the exact type of movie you're talking about. Oh, great! It's wonderful. But uh, uh, I was watching it, and I was I was thinking, gosh, this reminds me that the movies that come from America, even some of the independent movies, many independent movies, as a matter of fact, are sort of uh, miserablest kind of movies. You know, they're kind of like, how much misery can we heap on people? You know, on the viewer. And then here's the movie. <clears throat> Here's a movie that's really it's not without conflict. It does have conflict, uh, but it uh it has a uh an overwhelming uh sweetness to it. Um yeah. that uh a, and a kind of a a kind of a, uh a camaraderie between the characters that that's that's not uh that's not interrupted by any kind of uh, meanness or anything. Uh yeah. at least not not abject meanness. I'm like, why can't we have more movies like this uh, made you know, here in I, America? I would, <laughs> I would ask the same question. And when one does come along, you know what just leapt into my mind is a film which I loved, which was called Lars and the Real Girl, which was yes. an early Ryan Gosling film. And the performances in it are so beautiful. And everything, the script is incredible. And, and it was about loss you know it was about a person struggling to deal with this enormous loss in their life and i think when films like that are made 
somehow or other, the people they, they don't know how to sell a film like that. They don't know how they don't know how to convey to people that this is a film that they want to see, and right. you know that that film they sold so ridiculously because they kind of they tried to sort of make it about the blow up doll and. Really yes. didn't have very much to do with the blow up doll. I mean, the yeah, blow when up you finally doll watch was it. an aspect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It yeah, really, it, it wasn't at all the film that that they were trying to. I mean, it's like almost like the people who were selling the film hadn't didn't really even understand the film they were trying to sell. I, I do get that impression uh, from the marketing departments that they 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 cannot hook on to anything any type of film like we're talking about like you know they just they they can't they cannot figure it out you know I guess it's easier to to well, sell Well it's that horrible thing that they say in the news you know if it bleeds it leaves you know and I, uh-huh. I feel like they that's how they deal with films as well and I just I I want to think that we're you know that the that that you know we can start refusing to go to films like that but that you know if they're just going to make sensationalist films or films where it's just about cars crashing into each other or people shooting each other then you know at some point people are just going to get fed up and stop going uh, yeah, but with that, too. with that, you know, I I uh, want to talk a little bit about some of the movies that you probably never gotten asked about. <laughs> at at I know you go to comic conventions and and so forth and sci-fi conventions and whatever, and uh, usually I would imagine you get asked about you know of course uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Indiana Jones series and also Starman. Uh, and probably Animal House as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, like I'm sure no one ever asks you about something like The Glass Menagerie, which I think you're fantastic in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people actually do. And I've gone to, you know, I've gone to play, you know, I go to, I go to a lot of film festivals because um, I, I help, I, you know, like I've, I've been helping promote Year by the Sea, which was at film festivals last year. And this year I have a, short film that I directed and I've been at a lot of festivals, but, but Glass Menagerie actually is one of those films that gets screened and I get asked to come and sort of talk about it, um, you know, quite, quite often. So, so, um, you know, but I love that film. Um, and I had a blast doing it. What were your impressions of, of Paul Newman as a director? I'm curious to know, uh, you know, to hear about that. Uh, aspect of the movie. Well, he was he was really you know one of one of my favorite directors to have worked with, and I and I, you know, had it was just a privilege to to be able to do that play with him, and um, you know he had had you know known that play for a very long time, had worked with Tennessee Williams as had I and Joanne, and and um, um, you know we Joanne Woodward and I had done the play together twice on stage so you know we were showing up to first day's rehearsal kind of very already steeped in the experience of having done the play together so so he you know he we got to work with him in a way that actors very rarely get to work with a director which was you know from from the from day one you know we we knew the play already. We knew our lines already. So we got to really work on all kinds of, 
you know, internal things that the characters were going through. And, and he was, he was just fantastic to work with. Um, you know, he, he understands the whole process of acting and had, had, you know, been for, I don't know, at that point, you know, maybe 40 years an actor and, um, had directed Joanne before. So they had a kind of beautiful, you know, ability to work together almost, you know, with sign language in a sense. Mm, (laughs) They hardly needed to speak. He could just give her a certain look or a certain little hand sign or something when they were working. And she, she knew what he was communicating, but he Mm. was, he was very positive, extremely supportive, really took, time and gave us lots of time to try things and experiment. He wanted us to, you know, he and Joanne both just there because of their actors' studio training. You know, they 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 both worked from a place of just wanting to really be in the moment and create in the moment. Um, mm-hmm. um which not all directors even understand <laughs> that, that yeah. as a way of working. But, yeah. um, you know, so we, we all speak the same language, and, and, and that was a very special experience. I'm now realizing that there's connection here between uh, uh, you and working with uh, Paul Newman and uh, Michael Christopher, uh, who also worked with him, I guess, because they did uh, uh, the Shadow Box together. For Shadow TV Box booth, together, right? that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah that, I forgot that. Okay, so I do have to ask uh, an Indiana Jones-related question, <laughs> which is the new Indiana Jones film. Uh, uh, is, is that happening? <laughs> do you know, you know anything I, about it? I am totally not the right person to ask about this. I mean, occasionally I will read something about it, or somebody will send me something that they've read about it. It, it, it. I just read an article uh, today about it. Um, I think it, it appears to be you know, planned to happen. And um, other than that, I have no idea whether I will be a part of it because I think, you know, they'll they'll tell me one way or another at a certain point when they decide to tell me. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's, you know, they like to keep everything very, very close under wraps. And they, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, a, a, process that's shrouded in mystery as to whether or not the script is finished <laughs> it, or not finished it or who's to be. in it or who's <laughs> although I did read I did read the paper a couple of weeks ago. They they announced that Shia is not gonna be in the film. So right. I don't know I don't know what origin of that is or you know, whose decision that so, was or So you I don't kept know. in the dark just you like know the as rest much of as me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I do, I do. Short of short of somebody calling me and telling me, um, I, I, you know, I, I know as much as anybody else. You know, just from like reading, so something will pop up on the internet or whatever. You know, but that's about that's about it. Well, the other day, um, Jeff Bridges uh, expressed an interest in doing a sequel to Starman. Is that something that that would? Do you know anything well, about that? I, or he and I, he and I have been talking about this for years, and mm-hmm. he and I maybe fifteen years ago did a little bit of sleuthing around to see if we could figure out 
whether or not the rights were available and because the rights are a little complicated to Starman because of the fact that it was turned into a television series after the film was made. Right. It gets into some like little tricky wickets or something in terms of figuring out all of that. But he and I, every time I see him, which is, you know, where, where our little paths will cross from time to time because I went, I, I saw, I went to see his band a couple of years ago. It was so great. Um, but but um, uh, we're always kind of talking about it, but but whether, you know, whether or not that will happen. I mean, everybody asks me about it all the time, like, where is that baby? I want to know who that baby became. And, you know, <laughs> that's, that's in true. Starman, that's... <laughs> he says to me, he will become a great teacher, you know. So people right now, they're aching, you know, to know who that teacher would be and if that teacher can come and save us from – the complete chaos that we're living in right now. Um, so yeah. I don't know if, if if somebody has the uh, ability to write it. It certainly would be an extremely fascinating sequel to make because when you think about the end of the film, I'm left there with that silver ball in my hand, and I'm left there impregnated and and by a being from another world and. You know, you almost can't think of anything that would make for a more interesting sequel, but for some reason, no one has really pursued it. I just wanted to apply for the job. It's tough work. I'm up for it. Very good. (laughs) First clam. I thought we plateaued with age. We don't. Well, we're not there yet. I once read the very act of seeking sets things in motion. Vital lives are about action. Good for you. The only way to keep your senses alive is to use them. Don't you ever get lonely out there? No, the real loneliness, Joan, is not knowing who you are. Waves of zen for a fisherman. You may call me Sensei Fish Cuts. (laughs) Walk on faith. For the first time in my life, I'm actually breathing. You've changed. It's like you've gone wild or something. I think I've just started to like who I could be. Okay, that was Karen Allen. The new movie is Year by the Sea. It's currently in theaters, and I'm sure you'll be able to see it on demand soon enough. She owns her own business, so I remember like years ago, I mean, right at the beginning of our show in 2007, when one of our first shows was the Al Pacino tribute show, and I reached out to her through the business that she owns uh, uh, to ask her if she'd like to participate in the Al Pacino show to talk about cruising, which had to have been an interesting project. Um, And uh, she said, I'm so sorry, I I can't at this moment. Like the next week, they announced that she was in the new Indiana Jones. so uh, I, I think it was that timing that kept us from having her all all those years ago. And then she came back to talk about um, Green Street Hooligans, or there was some movie. It was uh, White Hooligan. Irish Drinkers. That's what... Uh, close that's enough. What, yeah. <laughs> Green, Green Street Hooligans, White Irish Drinkers. I think it was one of those. Uh, let me just tell you, uh, before we get into the Blu-rays, uh, Mr. Adam... Mhm. I had an interesting morning. Like I woke up uh, at like uh, nine o'clock, so I, I taped an episode of the Projection Booth, 
with our buddy Mike uh, at 10 o'clock this morning. It's an episode he's doing on Roman Polanski's The Tenant. Oh, nice. Uh, which is a very, really, really good film worthy of exploration. And uh, mm-hmm. we delved deep into it. And do you know who the third panelist was? Who we delved deeply into this movie with? Uh, uh, who could it be? Armand <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. White. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Uh, Alex Winter. Uh, oh, wow. Ted. Yeah. And uh, he's really, really smart about movies. He's moved, moved into directing himself. Mm-hmm. He has for some time now. But, uh, I mean, in, ter- in terms of films, he, and it was 7 a.m. his time. So I was like, man, you're a trooper. Like, you woke up at 7 a.m. to talk about something like The Tenant. And I said, <laughs> uh, so tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., could you join us for a discussion on Shoah? I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, <laughs> It's a good. It was a good conversation, and um, I, I was really impressed with him. So uh, it uh, posts the second week of October, I think, on the projection booth. Ah, it's also on Blog Talk Radio. That'd be great. Yes. I thought you were going to ask him if he could join you in a discussion of uh, what. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that makes him scared. Okay, well, are we diving right into this, or do we do we have anything to discuss before we get into the Blu-rays? I think we should I'll dive headfirst, okay. headfirst into this into this deep pool of of Adam's Blu-ray enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I do have that. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, well, we'll go back to September 5th. We'll start there. Um, and he, he, 80s nostalgia. How about this one? Mr. Mom has been released in a collector's edition from Shout Factory on their Shout Selects line of Blu-ray. Shout Select is, is only the best. I mean, these are like prime cuts. So Mr. Mom fits right into that. Let me let me bring up Jerry. Hang on. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jerry, I got you. Hey, okay, thank you. Just <laughs> hey, Jerry. Yep. Hey, no, I heard Mr. Mom and Shout Factory in the same sentence, so, I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I don't think yeah. I could have, I don't think I could have come in at a better time. I mean, I don't think, really, I mean, I think in the history of entrances, that's as good as it's going to get for me from here on <laughs> out, so. Well, well, give us some great insights on uh, the merits of Mr. Mom, if you will. <laughs> okay, Mr. Mom is timeless, um, it's timeless because as all of us have been unemployed in our lives, maybe not married, and, and perhaps in bad relationships, uh, but not married, we know what it's like to be not be the breadwinner. Um, I think we've all we've all been there. Maybe we haven't. I mean, maybe, uh, but I I certainly know what it's like. Um, but Mr. Mom has one of the all-time great lines in it when he's dropping the kids off and his friend, the crossing guard, says, "You're doing it wrong." And I'll swear to you guys, I hear I'm doing it wrong every day of my fucking life. <laughs> this morning, this morning, no, seriously, this morning I I heard I'm doing it wrong. I mean, I can really point out, I think every day of my life, someone is thought you're doing it wrong. I mean, and we're talking about not just everything, every aspect of my, you're doing it wrong, Jerry. Go home. Making, making, <laughs> making toast or uh, opening a can of... Tying my uh, fucking shoes. 
So Mr. Oh, Mom well. does have yep. merit. Mr. Let's be honest. Mr. Mom's, when Mr. It came Mom's out, still a funny movie. I, yeah. I, I, I rewatched Mr. Mom like a year or two ago. It's still a funny movie. Uh, it uh, is. And, and uh, you know, and there's there's some great, like, improvised stuff from Michael Keaton in mm-hmm. that movie. I forget the exact line or what context it is, but it always makes me laugh when I see the movie where Martin Mole's trying to intimidate him. Come on over here, Ron. Let me show you what I'm doing. Taking advantage of some of the time off to uh, add a whole new wing on here. I'm going to rip these walls out and, uh, of course, rewire it. Yeah, you're going to make it all 220? Yeah, 220, 221, whatever it takes. You know, I have to admit, I have to, this has to be, <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> I've never seen Mr. Bob. I don't know why I, I haven't seen it. I just, <laughs> It's just one of those movies that uh, I just never had any desire to watch. So, uh, and I would never hold that against it's cute. you. I, I can't. I just can't. Life is too short to hold something like that against you. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, yeah. If you want a, exactly. if you want a cute, pure, purely pleasurable movie, it's it's Mr. Mom. Okay. Yeah. But it's Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton doing comedy, and I mean he did some bad movies. But uh, you know, the tweet, the squeeze, and that kind of thing. This is good com- uh, comedic uh, Michael Keaton. John yep. Hughes, John Hughes writing it. So uh, that's right. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's, that's a good call, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget the uh, supporting work from Ann Gillian and Christopher Lloyd. So. Mm. <laughs> and Terry yeah. Gar, oh, wow. of course. Yeah, Mir- yeah Miriam. Right, yeah, and Miriam Flynn, of course. So, yeah, there's a uh, there's a documentary on there actually that uh, it doesn't have Michael Keaton, unfortunately, but it does have uh, the producer Lauren Schuler Donner and Angelina oh, and Miriam wow. Flynn. Yeah, Angelina and Miriam Flynn are also participants, and Frederick Kohler, and uh, and it has a trailer. So, and it's a nice uh, transfer. I will say that it's never really looked this good. I think it was a it was a four by three release. Uh, on DVD, they never even did a widescreen on. So this is the first widescreen ever, I believe. Mm-hmm. So you know, it um, if, if you're a John Hughes completist, well, there you go. So <laughs> it's the, the mother of all comedies. That's what they build yeah. it as in the trailer. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So what about the uh, 1987 film Maurice, starring Hugh Grant and James Wilby and Rupert Graves? Oh wow! I haven't heard that James that, Ivory that title. It is a James Ivory, yes. Wow, I haven't heard that in years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. I haven't seen it in, in since it came out, so this will be a, a good, you know, a, a good way to reconnect with it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, gosh, no one makes movies like Merchant Ivory did uh, back mm-hmm. then. I, I don't think That's anybody true. ever will again. Uh, um, so yeah. Uh, it's probably definitely worth checking out. It is. That is. It is. That's yeah, a I good wanted to say it's true. Uh, really, I mean, who's gonna who's gonna make those kind of movies? Uh, who's gonna yeah. make an E.M. Forrester? <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, let's not think only about that. one, but a series of E.M. Forrester novels. I you mean, know, no, uh, no, no, but that's a good point. I mean, that's a really good like room with a view. Howard's End. I mean, just if, if they only did Howard's End, let's say they never did anything else. Yeah, or if they only did Room with a View, or if they only did The Remains of the Day, um, even even like some of the other like the the more modern you know movies like the one with Christopher Robinson about um, 
the writer that of was, who wrote that was great. It's called a, that, children, uh, a soldier's daughter never cries. That's one of my I mean, favorites of his movies. And no, it's a great it's a great performance. I mean, but the one I like we don't talk about this. Uh, I guess I bring this up because you know I wanted to see something funny today. That thank God I was going with a camera phone. Video I was walking down the steps out of Stronger. I had no idea it was directed by David Gordon Green. I nearly lost it on the stairs. Um, mm. That would have been really funny when I saw that credit come up. You, you, it, all been, I've been spared that embarrassment. But um, no. But the, we thought a range of Merch and Ivory had a range of the different subjects that they tackle, especially in this. You want to see the last third of their output is very different. Um, and I, I don't think we, we really appreciate that um, in the context. You always. There's always ignorance. Oh, they just did stuffy period pieces. Far from that. Um, they really had an eclectic, if you will, um, choice of topics towards the end, and I, and I found that fascinating. Um, I can't say I've ever seen a bad Merchant Ivory film. Even if you go back into the 60s to their stuff when they were doing, you know, uh, lots of stuff with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Indian themes, because, uh, you know, Merchant was, was uh, Indian. Right. Uh, um, uh, so things like Shakespeare Walla and uh, Bollywood musical and and uh, and those kind of things uh, and and then into the seventies with uh, you know some some odd choices like um, well I think they did the Wild Party or something like that or uh, and and then they also with Raquel Welch and and uh, a really terrific. Uh, uh, Little sort of dra- uh, drama, kind of like about seven different, seven or eight different characters dancing at the uh, at the Roseland. It was called Roseland. Uh, I remember at, that. Yeah, it, it, that's that's a really good little movie too. It is. So, um, yeah, they they were the amazing. Way, we were uh, we were called racist last week on YouTube because oh uh, oh, oh great. <laughs> Because, <laughs> because uh, we did a, uh, we did a, you know, our series of shows that we did if we picked Best Picture, and I guess it was uh, an episode where we both talked about how damn boring Gandhi and A Passage to India were, and so the commenter was like, "Man, that's pretty, it's pretty racist," and uh, so I commented, "I commented, oh god, I hope you're kidding. Like seriously, we thought the two movies were boring, so we're racist." I, I personally don't think that they're both boring, uh, but uh, uh, maybe Gandhi a little uh, goes on a little too long. But uh, uh, but I love Passage to India. So, well, so there you go. How's that for racist? So you, you are you are not getting out unscathed. You yes, are right I'm, in there with us, man. Oh, okay. I'm trying to back out. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. We're all a little racist. <laughs> go, go ahead, Adam. Enlight, enlighten uh, the racist host of the show. Come on. What else is coming? <laughs> About Crime of Passion from 1957, directed by Gerd Oswald. That's good. Uh, that's uh, that's that thing with uh, uh, Robert Wagner, right? Uh, you're thinking of Kiss Before Dying. This is similar, oh, okay. though. It's uh, Barbara Stanwyck and Sterling Hayden. Oh, and, yeah, that's uh, even better. Yeah, that's even a that's a better movie where she's trying to get him. uh, He's he's a cop and she's trying to get him to go up the ladder 
to you know become police chief or whatever mm-hmm. uh and he's got a case and she gets she gets mixed up with it uh yep. yeah that's good gerd oswald that's a name that you don't <laughs> hear people talking about too much but uh but those two movies, Crime of Passion and A Kiss Before Dying, uh, are are extremely good. And I guess he went on to do a lot of. I think he directed a lot of the Outer Limits series. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. You're right. So, uh, um, so further, further, uh, Gerd Oswald stuff yep. to, to look at. But yeah. Well, well, movie. there's. A- there was a Criterion release on that same day, September 5th. How about Rebecca, Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca, which was uh, previously available as an MGM release, but uh, there wasn't a, there weren't, weren't a lot of extras on that. Uh, so they have uh, done it justice in terms of the extras uh, on this one. Uh, there's so many extras on this edition of Rebecca that it spilled onto a second Blu-ray. <laughs> That's how many there are. Uh, there's... Um, just uh, interviews with film historian Craig Barron on the visual effects of Rebecca. There's a documentary on Daphne du Maurier. Uh, it's a, there's a making-of documentary from 2007. There's the footage of the screen hair makeup and costume tests for Joan Fontaine and Vivian Lee and Baxter, Margaret Sullivan, Loretta Young. There's a uh, actually two episodes of Tomorrow featuring Tom Snyder. One is a 1975 episode with Hitchcock as the guest. And uh, there's an uh, interview with Joan Fontaine from 1980 uh, with Tom Snyder. If you if you watch if you watch that Tom Snyder Hitchcock review uh, interview, because uh, mm-hmm. it's been on YouTube YouTube for a while. Yeah, uh, it's, it's amazing how completely clueless Tom Snyder is about Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah. uh, because uh, you know I, I can just remember one part of it where Tom Snyder talks about there being absolutely no humor in his movies that he's completely humorless. <laughs> Oh my God! Like, have, you seen, have you seen a Hitchcock movie? <laughs> There's humor in Psycho, for God's sake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh okay. man! Wow. Gallows well, humor. Okay. Yeah. Hang on, Jerry. I got you back. Uh, okay, yeah, I got you. you back. Yeah. Okay, that's. So go ahead. Not, there's no humor in Hitchcock. <laughs> that's that's just weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, to uh, speak to Rebecca, does anybody, you know, this is going to be heresy. I mean, you know, I like Rebecca and everything, uh, but I feel I still feel like it's one of Hitchcock's lesser movies, even though it. Won, I do too. Even though it won Best Picture and everything, I do which too. is, uh, I just oh, uh, yeah, you're so racist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, mean, I like, I like, I like it. I like it, but I don't know. You know what? The thing that makes it really work for me is uh, Judith Anderson as the as the housekeeper that's still sort of in love with uh, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Olivier, secretly in love with him. Yes, uh, uh, yes, Mrs. Danvers, exactly. Uh, I think she's great in it, and I think that she's one of the reasons that the movie uh, is memorable. Uh, I mean, I, I love the, the the other two performances, you know, mm-hmm. the, the two leads, uh, Fontaine and, and Olivier. But uh, but they've done. I feel like both of them have done better work in other movies. Uh, they have. Yes. Um, 
I don't know. I, I can't get excited about Rebecca. Really. I was misled about the movie. I thought it was an adult version of Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, and I was really fucking lost. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> well, I, I think you can I imagine can my confusion, okay? <laughs> yeah, that is seriously confused. <laughs> my my criticisms of it are, one, that it's too long. It's two hours and ten minutes. They could resolve uh-huh. that in a, in a half hour less. Uh, and two, I felt like it has this, um, you know, they, they play up the super, supernatural angle for the majority of the, of the movie. And then, you know, during the last 20 minutes or whatever, they, they you know, the whole supernatural thing is thrown out the window in in, uh, in lieu of a conventional ending that was commonly found in movies of that period. And I guess at the time it probably hadn't been done to death, but that's been done so many times. I just found it to be tiresome. It's, uh-huh. uh, it's, it's like you're, you're, you're trying to trick the audience into thinking it's supernatural. And then it's like, no, it's not supernatural. It's, it's, it's all rooted in the real world. And it's just, I, I'm so tired of that, that bait and switch tactic and so many. So, you know, yes. yeah, it looks, it's, that was a problem I had with it just personally. So, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I thought, I, I dare not say I'm not a huge fan of this movie. But, uh, <laughs> but somebody said it before I did. So. I went there. Well, at least you're not kind of I mean, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't I don't dislike it. I admire the, uh, the, the uh, craft, the craft of it. It's impeccable. Yeah, it, yes. it really is. And, and uh and it and it's you know it's good it's just not great that's the problem I have with it. <laughs> like you expect the best the one Hitchcock Best Picture winner to be wow this is going to be at yeah. least a cut above the average ones you know and yeah. it's it's like it might be like you know it's right there at average I think. Yeah, I mean for I mean, Hitchcock. <laughs> you know, I mean, not for somebody else. I'll quantify that for Hitchcock, but maybe not for another director, yeah. but for, for for Hitchcock though, I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I I feel like uh it's worth picking up just for the bonus disc of extras if you're a, I mean if you're uh, the 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 making of documentary on it is actually more interesting than the actual film, I think. So it's <laughs> you want to know the truth. Mm. Uh but uh, so so it's 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 something I could wholeheartedly recommend, but maybe not for the actual film in question. Is so, is that uh, is that Hitchcock's first American movie? It is, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's the one that so, he famously was recruited by David O'Selznick to come to America to to get involved in the Hollywood movie business. So, well, that's its prime you know point of importance then. Yeah, it is. It is. So uh, this one is certainly worth mentioning, this next title, because it's never been available on any format on home video, not VHS tape, not Laserdisc, not DVD. But now on, D- on Blu-ray, we finally have uh, the missing piece of the William Friedkin puzzle, because this is uh, our buddy, William, friend of the show, William Friedkin. Uh, this is the one film of his that was never available, The Birthday Party from 1968, which is... Wow, holy the- shit! <laughs> yeah. That'd be interesting. I've never seen it, so yeah, who's it's in quite it? Good. It's quite good. It's uh, Robert Shaw and Patrick McGee, not Magney, McGee, the guy from yeah. Clockwork yeah. Orange. Uh, <laughs> Sidney Taffler, Dandy Nichols. Uh, it's based on a Harold Pinter play. Um, it's uh, it you know it. There are parts of it that are somewhat stage bound, but uh, the the longer it goes, uh, the more interesting it gets. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of a suspense piece. It's really funny during the first hour, and it turns suspenseful during the last hour. And uh, 
you know, it's uh, I don't want to say too much about it, but it's about these two men that show up. Patrick McGee is one of them, and he shows up along with this other man uh, at the house that Robert Shaw lives in, and they they claim that they're uh, that that they're house guests, that, that and they're supposed to be there, and he says no, they're not, and and then you have a sense that maybe they're after him for some reason, but you're not sure why, and. Uh, it's uh like, like I said, don't want to say too much. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of, kind of. Say, yeah. It is very similar. It is. I'm not kidding. It, it is. And I and I saw them about the same time, which was which was interesting. And uh yeah, similar similar concepts there. So but anyway, uh I think it's it's certainly uh worth mentioning because this was the one William Friedkin movie that I always wanted to see, but it, you could not get it anywhere and uh so Kino has have uh, you ever, graciously have you ever seen adam the uh the documentary he did about the guy that was wrongfully executed or wrongfully imprisoned or no, I never uh, did that's another one that I've always wanted to see uh i I assumed it was out there somewhere, but I never did. Uh, what, but the birthday party, the birthday party, uh, I, I forget the name of it, but he talked about it extensively in his autobiography. Yes, he did. and, and it kind of kind of defined his approach to documentary filmmaking and how he eventually bled that those techniques into narrative films. But the, the yeah. birthday party uh, was just prior to Boy, Boys in the Band, right? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yes, it was after right. after the Sonny and Cher movie, but. Uh, Prior to, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Say that again. <laughs> it's a. It was a immediately uh, following the uh, Sonny and Cher movie, but uh, prior to Boys in the Band. So, <laughs> so, so after doing the Sonny and Cher movie, Freakin must have said to himself, "I have to do something less gay. I think I'll do Boys <laughs> in the Band." <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm kidding, but it, yeah. The study at Share movie from William Freakin. I, I did, uh, that was a lapse in my memory. I don't uh, recall that. Oh really? You, I, I've actually seen that one. It's uh, it's not good. <laughs> well, I mean, what's it about? Is it just about what is it? Is it a plot to a movie? Or is it just about like Sunny and Share, like their TV show at the time? I guess or not even Frankenstein. <laughs> this, this was way before the TV show. This is '67, so this has uh, it has more of a monkeys kind of feel to it than anything else. Oh, yeah, it's right. It's, it's, it's Sunny and Cher meets Frankenstein, like the <laughs> old Abbott and Costello thing. <laughs> good time. Oh That's God. the name of it. Yes. Yeah. Good time. Good time. What's, well, what, they what's say that a good time. Oh wow! That's, uh, this is where Robert Pattinson has a has a leg up on William Friedkin for once. Um, <laughs> well, they they say that it's better than the uh, the other Sonny and Cher movie, Chastity, which I heard is atrocious. But oh god, I yeah, forgot about that one. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, there's a dead. That's not yeah. killed Sonny Bono. He is dead. He died in a bizarre mm-hmm, accident. Much, much, much. Oh. And by the way, the uh, the documentary we're talking about, the Friedkin documentary, is the People versus Paul Crump, and that is uh, that is is available on DVD. Just uh, apparently just came out three years ago, finally, so it hasn't been out long. So uh, yeah, huh. so that that's the one. And uh, and speaking of Friedkin and documentaries, do you, have you guys heard about the new one he has out? Uh, uh, it's about uh, a re- real exorcism. What do you, I read uh, something about that the other day? Oh Looks wow. Interesting. But what's the deal with that now? He's uh, he's 
he's filming a real exorcism in present day or yeah yeah, yeah he is oh wow <laughs> i don't know about yeah. that huh yeah he's it's a documentary about this priest that supposedly uh performed a real exorcism and uh i read a review of it in the new york times the other day and they they said it's uh or maybe no it was owen gliberman i read his reviews in uh variety and he said that uh you know, it it does have that creep factor, whether you believe it or not, whether you think it's a bunch of hogwash or, or or whatnot. You know, he said it 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 is effective for what mm-hmm. it does, and it's only sixty eight minutes, but um, it's uh, and I can't think of the the name of it, but uh, it it just it was I think just screened at the Venice Film Festival, I believe, but yeah. it will be coming down the pike soon. So the title is the the Devil and Father Amorth. That's it. That's it. Uh, yep. That's the one. Okay. So, ah. so yeah, and he took a lot. Of, the father took a lot of convincing to to film, but apparently yeah. he's done. I think he's since died. I think he's dead now. But uh, he's done a lot of exorcisms, and uh, Freakin convinced him to 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 let him go along on one of them. Mm-hmm. And he said it, he said it was a truly terrifying experience. That there was definitely something uh, physical and visceral going on with this girl. Or this person, whoever's being exorcised. Uh, so uh, yeah, that would be interesting to see. But what other filmmaker would you want to make a documentary like that? I mean, that's yes, true. Who's more ideally yeah. suited for it? Yep. Yep. True. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's good. So, yeah. So that's uh, so the, some several pieces of Friedkin news, I guess. Uh, did any of you see uh, Score, a film music documentary? Because that's been released, and I, I missed that one. I wanted to see it, but I didn't. I missed it, too. I missed that, too. Yeah. One of the reasons that I didn't want to see it, to tell you the truth, is because I uh, I read a review of it. <clears throat> and uh, uh, this kind of irritates me. It gets under my skin. when I, I mean, I realize the greatness of John Williams as a composer, but if you're doing a whole – this is the kind of movie <clears> – <throat> okay, basically my problem is it feels like the kind of thing that really should have been done is like maybe like an eight-part series or a yeah. three-part series or something because if you're going to do a movie about all of uh, scoring, you know, it's just too big of a subject. And uh, I read that they concentrate too much on, on Williams and uh, Hans Zimmer and uh present present day guys and uh for me you know if you're not if you're not including you know Dimitri Tiomkin and uh you know Max Steiner and yeah, uh, I mean, Steiner, Carl I mean. Carl Stalling and and yeah. uh you know, who did all the uh, Warner Brothers cartoons and yeah I mean or Bernard Harmon yeah there's yeah. so many great composers I mean how could you do it in a 90 minute 2 hour film I mean yeah, well, some uh, movies, like do, a bad it. Some idea. movies do it right. This, this, this one strikes me as probably a very, a very dry movie, like uh, whatever that art of editing documentary was years ago that Walter oh, Murch yeah, was a yeah, big yeah. part of. But there's some movies like uh, you know Vision of Light, uh, uh-huh. cinematography, that yes. uh, even in its even in its compact running time, it's still very illuminating on on key elements of what makes cinematography an art form unto itself. Yes, that's a great yeah. example of one that works. Yeah. Yeah, true. 
I was just wondering because, uh, yeah, it seemed like if you're covering uh, the history of film scoring, that's an awfully big subject for such a, a small, you know, running time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was my thought, too. So uh, so the 1977 TV movie, uh, you know, TV movies have typically not been released on Blu-ray or DVD all that much because they, they, I don't think a lot of people buy them. But here's one from 1977 uh, that Screen Factory has opted to release called uh, The Spell, directed mm. by Lee Phillips and starring Lee Grant and um, James uh, Jack Colvin, who used to play uh, Mr. McGee on the Incredible Hulk television series, and uh, <laughs> Susan Myers. And uh, I've always wanted to see this. I, I have not gotten a copy of it yet. Uh, I plan on it. It's uh, It was made the year after Carrie, and it's about this overweight uh, – teenager who has the basically the same powers as Carrie. He's got the telekinesis thing going and uh Lee Grant is her overbearing mother. Mm. And uh only her and it's and her gym teacher is the only one that understands her. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> so that sounds familiar, yeah, definitely. And I mean it, 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 crab, I don't know what does. It, it, yeah. in the original Carrie uh in the book, wasn't wasn't Carrie an overweight girl? I mean, yes, she was. That's true. Yes, she was. Yeah. So that's something that they didn't do in either versions of of the Mm -hmm. movie. So, so that's kind of interesting. But yeah, yeah. and the the overweight girl in the spell is uh, played by Twiggy. I don't think many people realize. (laughs) (laughs) Twiggy. Who plays? Wait, so who plays the overweight girl in the um, in the um, in the in in the actual movie? Yeah. Do you know? Uh, I think um, the girl is Susan Myers. She's in that TV series James at 16. Remember that back in the late 70s? Great oh, series. Somebody wow. should release that. Now, that would be amazing. That was good. Yeah. was good. But, Fantastic. Uh, what makes this interesting, though, is that uh, you know most TV movies that were in a 90-minute time slot, they ran about 73 minutes. Somehow, mm-hmm. Screen Factory has found the original masters to the European version of this film, which runs 86 minutes. Okay. So this is like a feature-length version of it. Uh, and there's uh, and how did they the find audio, that? How did they um, find that footage? I'm just curious. I mean, I, that's I the don't kind know. of footage that would have been thrown out with the, like the delicatessen that day in the editing suite. I mean, <laughs> I guess you know they they were sometimes uh, TV American TV movies were released as as theatrical films. That's right. Uh, in, in Britain. Oh yeah, no, no, so. no, that, is, that, is, that is right. You're absolutely right. Um, but, yeah. but uh, so they must have just it found just, a print. It just, it just warms my heart that. Uh, We'll never see that uh, lost footage from Magnificent Ambersons, but but we found the footage <laughs> from the spell. <laughs> yeah, the 1977 spell. made for TV Carrie <laughs> You know what's really sad about this movie? I think I watched this when it first came on. That's really pathetic. <laughs> well, I was you know, I was personally I was sure you were going to mention Killdozer. I was thinking that was going to be the one that. Was, <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I know that has a huge following. So it does. I actually have a copy of that one, by the way. So <laughs> of course, you know I would. Oh, my, uh, hey, of oh course. my God. <laughs> yeah. Helen Hunt is in this one, by the way, The Spell. So, uh, uh, yeah. I'm, uh, she was in everything. She started acting. How long has she been in the film business and in the entertainment business? Like, 
I mean, since she was like conceived in her mom's womb. I mean, seriously, she's in everything. I, I mean, I I I know I saw her uh, in something. She she was like six years old uh, recently. She was only in it for like a second. But uh, yeah. of course she was a she was a semi regular on uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> yes, uh, she's been in there quite a bit, quite a long she time. Was, uh, she was uh, the Soleil Moon Fry of her time. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the rooster of her time. Great. That was probably the greatest line ever uttered on this show. I No, we're gonna write. Uh, you're doing it wrong on your Thank you. That's right. That would be great. That'd be a great. That'd be <laughs> the greatest thing ever. He, he couldn't even die right. <laughs> uh, all right. How about a crime thriller uh, starring Richard Crenna, Paul Williams, Linda Sorensen, Belinda Montgomery, and Alberta Watson? <laughs> what a cast. This wow. called Stone Cold Dead from 1979. Oh. Police, police drama. Uh, Jeez. About, uh, they're trying to find a sniper who's been shooting hookers. Uh. <laughs> wow. Who better to get for that than Paul Williams? Is Paul Williams a uh, sniper? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but I'd be willing to. That was at the period when he was his most uh, coked out. You know, he'll admit to that too. So that was. That yeah. Be, that should prove to be interest, an interesting watch. Uh, Paul Williams and Richard Crenna as a uh, paired on screen. I would <laughs> go for that. So. They were gonna cast. I, I just read something about it. They were gonna cast him as the sniper, but he was too short to see over the wall. <laughs> So they had to cast them. <laughs> oh, wow. Richard okay. Crenna, I, I, whatever, there's a funny story that Sylvester Stallone tells about Richard Crenna because uh, Crenna played his commander in First mm-hmm. Blood. Yep. And Crenna agreed to do it, but he had, he was just coming off of like, I forget if it was a movie or a stage play where he played a, a gay character. So, um, Krenna's first scene is when you know the, the the officers in the tent are trying to make plans of how they're going to get this guy and and they've they've tracked down his commander and he's on his way over and and one of the officers is like uh, you know uh, who, who who was this guy's commander and uh, and Krenna is supposed to be standing in the opening of the tent and he says I am but apparently. He hadn't fully shaken his previous character, so, so it came out like, "I am." <laughs> it came they had out to take him campy. aside. And, yeah, they had to take him aside and say, "No, no, no, this is like a military command. You, you got to be really gruff, you know." You're gonna have to butch this up, man. <laughs> oh, oh god, it's good. <laughs> Well, there's one other title I'm going to mention uh, from that day, and that's uh, "They Shoot Horses, Don't They?" The Sydney oh, Pollock, yeah. which we we mentioned that I, I I mentioned that it was coming out, and I did look at it. It's great. It's just a tremendous tremendous transfer, best it's ever looked. And so, uh, if you're a fan of that one, it's it's I would say highly recommended. So uh, yeah, you kind of saved the best for last on that one. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so. so the law and Jake Wade 
starring Robert Taylor and Richard Widmark, is available from Warner Archive. It's a Western. That also sounds like a TV movie, but maybe not. Uh, I don't think it is. I don't think that one is. Okay. But then uh, there's a uh, Dan O'Bannon, uh, the guy who wrote, you know, of course, Alien and Return of the Living Dead, uh, among many others. Uh, he actually directed a film in 1991 called The Resurrected, and Screen oh, yeah, Factory yeah. has. Oh wow! Yeah, they put that out. So, so there's okay. a Screen Factory uh, release on that one. Um, and um, so that covers the September the 5th, and then we're uh, on to the next week, which is the 12th, and <laughs> that week uh, there's some interesting things here. Spider from 1991. Uh, <laughs> oh, the, the, what is that? is that? Is that the Cronenberg? No, no, Cronenberg. No, that's what I thought. I mean. This one's directed by Vasily Moss, which mm. uh, it's a Russian language horror film. Uh, but yeah, that um, that was issued as well as um, uh, the Ghoul from nineteen. No, this 30. I thought this was the nineteen seventy five one, but no, this is not that one. This is a two thousand sixteen one. But Arrow released that one anyway. Uh, the uh, the creep behind the camera and the creeping terror. That's uh, several films from the 60s that have been issued. Oh, I thought that was the Victor uh, Salva story. Uh, <laughs> that creep behind the camera. Uh, you got to admit, that was good. You got to admit, that was good, that, guys. That's good, it. yes. Uh, that's very good. Die now. Are these, uh, these are both Hammer movies, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And Boy, they're uh, really, I don't know what they're really digging deep into the Hammer uh, archives yeah. now. Oh, yeah. They're like... You, they realized what they had. Be, do you remember there being a movie? It was kind of a remake of Peeping Tom, where the guy has the blade at the end of the camera and films the death throes of the woman in front of it. But it starred uh, Christopher Atkins. Do you do I, Oh, yeah. you guys remember I that? do remember that. Yeah, oh. I can't remember the title of that one, but yeah, it sounds vaguely familiar, yeah. Oh, I, I that needs a Blu-ray. Christopher Atkins. Cinema of Christopher <laughs> Atkins has not been explored fully. Um, <laughs> well, uh, what about the 1974 Lena Wertmuller film Swept Away? Which was yeah, you got to say course. the whole title, though. Yeah, well, they're just billing it on the on the front of the DVD, uh, or the front of the Blu-ray just says Swept Away, believe it or not. That's all it says. Huh. They don't Since have they the were... rest of the title there. Yeah. But, uh... uh it was uh, uh, swept away by the blue sea of August, uh, you know, something like I that. Think that's it, yeah. Yeah. Of course, famously remade by Guy Ritchie and starring Madonna. <laughs> yeah. Infamously. <laughs> there the whole. Infamously. Didn't they pull that after four days? It didn't even get a full week of release. They pulled yeah. that only, I mean, less than a week. Now, that is an interesting topic for a show, guys. Couple, famous couples that made movies that didn't last, obviously. <laughs> Swept away, swept away by yeah. the sea, topping that list. Well, I, I think I think people watched the, the Guy Ritchie version of Swept Away and thought, you know what, I missed the Madonna of Shanghai Surprise. <laughs> well, that was going to be the next one I mentioned. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm yeah. grateful for that Madonna. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, what is it, dude? I mean, but really, I love like Angelina Jolie. On our honeymoon, we're going to make this movie by the sea about an unhappy marriage. I can't think of anything. <laughs> what would do a marriage more? Than... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Oh God, I'm sorry. I'm well, just, I'm just on a roll today. <laughs> well. well... Well, thankfully, uh, Guy Ritchie and Madonna did not remake Seven Beauties, which is also being reissued, another Lena Wertmuller film. So I'm glad they did chose not to remake that one. Uh, I had never seen this until I got the review copy, and I was I thought it was pretty impressive achievement myself. I don't know what you guys think about it. But. It's I, great. I, I'd have to check it out. I'd have to check it out. What's it about? What's the storyline? Seven Beauties? Uh, it's about a, uh, sort of a, um, uh, a, uh, Italian, uh, I guess he's, I guess he's a pimp. <laughs> he's an yeah, Italian he is. pimp he, he is. that, uh, uh, gets, uh, gets, uh, thrown into a concentration camp during, during, uh, World War II, um, into a German concentration camp, and he schemes to, uh, Get out of uh, the worst aspects of uh, mm-hmm. that by uh, trying to seduce the camp. Uh, one of the commandants uh, is played by Shirley Stoller, the famously, you know, big boned, shall we say, uh, yeah, 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 okay. uh, uh, actress that, that was the lead in, in Honeymoon Killers and uh, famous, oh, okay. uh, <clears throat> famous American. Uh, 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 character actress, I'd say, and uh, it's it's fantastic. It's a comedy. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, obviously with serious overtones, but uh, it, it's very very great. Uh, Giancarlo Giannini is the lead oh, he's in it. A great actor. He's great. He's always good. <laughs> well, well, he's also in Swept Away. Yeah. Also, let me ask yes. you a question. When we talk about – see, this is, this is very important to bring up this film and, and the subject matter and everything, and it's a comedy. Why is it when we talk about when Life is Beautiful was brought up or the day we talk about the, 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 Jerry, the infamous Jerry Lewis film that I think we'll finally be able to see you know, one day? Um, why, don't, why is this film ever mentioned? Because we all say the, ta- the concentration camps are such taboo in the comedy – you're saying this is a comedy. It should be talked about more. Well, we've we you know when we have broached this subject, you know, which is pretty rare, but uh, you know, comedies set in set in the Holocaust, uh, there's not too many, and uh, you know, this this is one that has to be has to be mentioned. Uh, I know. Um, I think it, this is very important to actually bring this up because I remember when Life is Beautiful came out, you know, there was some controversy, but you got to you have been. You have to. If this film was in existence, people should have been talking about it. Um, well, I just uh, you know, even though it was it it it, it resulted in uh, best actor nomination for Giannini, uh, who, who was up there along with you know uh, you know I think uh, 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 Peter Finch and so and uh, I guess Peter did Peter, was it Peter Finch who actually won the award eventually? Yes. I think so. In '76, so he was up there with also De Niro and everything, but uh, um, and it also ended up getting an Oscar nomination for Vert Mueller, who became the first mm-hmm. woman to be nominated for Best Director. So, uh, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, let me just say another thing about uh, Seven Beauties. Uh, you're pretty much <laughs> you're pretty much convinced that it's going to be a great movie from the very beginning because it has one of the greatest beginnings ever in movies. Mm-hmm. It's a 
it has a terrific score. And uh, so the, the movie begins with this uh, compilation of um, of World War II atrocities, you know, uh, you know, shown shown with real footage, you know, stock right, footage, right. Uh, backed by this great sort of incredibly catchy jazzy score, and also some very uh, very very great. Uh, almost poetic narration from Giancarlo Giannini, uh, who uh, it's just one of the most memorable beginnings of a movie I can ever, you know, okay, mention. I'll definitely check this out because I, I I really wish people would talk about it more. You know, it's, just, it's not that it's not that old of a film. If it's seventy six, it's not that old of a film. Also. Well, uh, I should say it's photographed by Tonino Delicoli, who, of course, uh, is probably more famous for doing the Sergio Leone movies, the Man with No mm-hmm. Name movies. So, yeah. yeah. The scene where he uh, has to seduce the uh, the the rather large woman who's the uh, the Nazi guard that we were talking about, <laughs> and yes. uh, uh, and he's having trouble basically having getting an erection. Let's just put it that way. And I would too, given what you uh, about it. I mean, yeah, he's he's trying to think of all these women he seduced, and the movie is showing you what he's thinking about. And then she forces him to open his eyes, and when he opens his eyes, he can't. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 wonderful. Uh, yeah, it really is. So. Yeah, it's good. Good movie. Good, good discovery. I was glad to to finally catch up to that one. So good. Yeah. So uh, we'll move right along to September nineteenth, and um, uh, Close Encounters came out in four K. Uh, they released the four K edition of that. Um, okay. And now, now we're bringing this up. I've been meaning to talk about this for a couple of weeks now, and I knew that it would come up. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. did you go to see this at the theater? I did. Mm-mm. I did not. Uh, you didn't? Okay. No. All right. I just watched but... it on Encore a couple, like, right, you know, it was, it's been on cable all summer, so I've been catching it every part of the movie, like, at different points. So I, I, I just didn't feel like seeing it in the theater. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Yeah, but, uh, okay, so we went to, to go see it in the theater. And uh, <clears throat> we took, uh, me and my friend Brian took uh, a uh, his girlfriend uh, and their and her two daughters go mm-hmm. see it. He's trying to uh, sort of educate the two daughters on, on movies. Uh, they're like fifteen and sixteen, something like that. They'd never seen it. First of all, we're walking up to the theater and you see the poster, and the poster has the mothership on it. And I kind of made a joke on it and said, "Wow, big spoiler there!" You know, <laughs> it was like, "Wow," because you know, famously when the when Close Encounters came out, they didn't show anything in the previews, nothing mm-hmm. in the trailers, they showed nothing in the ads. So when I went to go see it, there was just a ridiculous air of mystery about it. Were we going to see anything? What, what would what would? It was like looking out for a UFO. It was like, what are we going to see anything? Are we just looking at you know skies here? What's going on? So, uh, okay, so you have uh, so I've set it up. Now we sit down in the theater, and what comes on after a couple of previews? Luckily, they kept the previews down to a minimum. Uh, what comes on but a documentary about the the making of Close Encounters. Now, that would be okay 
<laughs> if they didn't include all of the footage of all the money shots in the movie, you know, every every single thing that they could show, uh, every single piece of footage that they could show, uh, featuring the the spaceships and the aliens and at the end and so forth, they showed. I was like, why? Okay, not only did that ruin the sort of the air of mystery that comes with the movie for the people who were bringing to the movie to see it for the first time. But it kind of ruined the movie for me, too, because I didn't want to see all those scenes, and they weren't even big widescreen versions of the scenes. They were like, you know, uh, they, were, it was, they were smaller in scale when they showed in this version. So, uh, But still, seeing all those images and then having to see them again, uh, uh, it just ruined it. For me, I mean, they totally botched this whole thing uh, from the very beginning. They botched it when they had they cut together the trailer and they showed the best, almost the entire best scene of the movie. That scene in the air controller, air traffic controlling uh, pit. You know that 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 scene was used as the trailer. I was like, wow, they're just <laughs> they're just. They're so intent on making you come and see the movie that they're just showing you everything about it, you know, everything that's good about it before you actually see the movie. Uh, and uh, just why would you do that? That's bullshit, man. That's just make the documentary. They could have had the documentary at, at the end. They could have had a little thing that came, you know, Steven Spielberg saying, oh, stay after the credits and see a documentary. Or... They could have made the documentary without using any footage. They could have used, just used behind-the-scenes footage and present-day talking heads. Instead, it was probably made by that Laurent Bouzereau who cannot, <laughs> who cannot, you know, the number one maker of DVD extras, and who cannot keep himself from going back to that third element, which is usually clips of movies, clips of the movies, and just. Don't show us any clips from the movie before we see a movie like this on the big screen. That's the bottom line. Irritating. Okay, ran That's over. That's bullshit, man. That's <laughs> bullshit, man. It is. Yeah, it is. And it's it, stupid. And the documentary was attached. It, it was uh, attached to the obviously attached to the DCP of the movie because it goes straight into the movie immediately after the. So there wasn't any. It wasn't like they could avoid that. I think it was all there as one big piece. Uh huh. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I hate. I hate. It. I mean, did you find that irritating? I did. Right. I did. I felt like it was. Uh, there was some kids uh, sitting behind me, uh, looked to be in their early twenties, and I don't. And they appeared that maybe they had never seen it before, and you know, I was excited for them because I remember what it was like the first time I saw it, and I thought, boy, they're really. You know, spoiling it for these kids behind me here, unfortunately. And uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully they still enjoyed it. But you know, I, I don't know. But uh, yeah. so uh, well, we'll go through the Twilight Time releases real fast. Uh, it was a Western bonanza this month with uh, Twilight Time, with the exception of one Woody Allen movie. <laughs> um, they opted to release uh, September, the Woody Allen movie that was. Uh, uh, the one where he shot the entire film and then wasn't happy and then scrapped the film and reshot it again. And that caused a little bit of controversy when that happened, if you remember, with a di totally different cast. 
he just shot it with one cast, got rid of them, and hired a new cast and did it all over again. So, um, hold on, let me let me stop you. What's what is the noise that's going on? Yeah, what is the noise? What is the? I don't. Is that? Is that Oh, sorry, it might be me. Oh, okay. I was punching something in. Sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, that's fine, that's fine. No, as long as there's no one it is. I thought it was like Poltergeist or like Ghost of the Machine or something, so. <laughs> I was sure it was Jerry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> because, as we all know, you're doing it wrong. I know, I was doing it wrong, but Gene, I'm so paranoid. I've been keeping the phone away after hearing that, like, you know, a good, a good inch or so away from me. So, I mean, uh, I'm so good. paranoid about I'm trying to be well behaved. Okay, like a dog, I'm trying to be well behaved. I I have not gone back to watch September since I saw it back in the '80s, uh, mm-hmm. and it's you know my memory of seeing it in the '80s was that I was extremely disappointed. I I, I felt like wow, he had he did it a second time, and he still didn't get it right. Like the only thing I remember. Is Elaine Stritch in that movie, who's fantastic in it. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember being uh, very taken with the film at all. Even though you know I like his, you know I liked his previous dramatic effort, obviously mm-hmm. uh, Interiors. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I just remember kind of being uh, very, very underwhelmed by it. Have did you go back yeah. and look at it? I haven't, I haven't yet. No, you I haven't. haven't yeah. I haven't. Uh, I, I, the only time I saw it was uh, like you uh, years ago when it was released, and I, I, I always felt like it was one of his lesser films as well. Uh, I'm hoping that I'll feel differently this go round, but uh, mm-hmm. I haven't gotten around. But there's, you know, of course, with his movies, there are no uh, extras here except for the isolated music and effects track and the, uh, the trailer. So that's all you get. Uh, it would have been nice to see that other version uh, as, a, as a supplement, but I guess that was destroyed long ago by by uh, Woody Allen himself, I'm sure. But Can I say, by the way, that I am so extremely excited. It's been a long time since I've been excited for Woody Allen, probably since, since uh, Blue Jasmine, I guess. Yeah. But I am extremely excited about Wonder Wheel. I mean, yeah, me too. Uh, uh, you know they released the uh, they released the movie poster this mm-hmm. uh, the image of the movie poster and i have to say it's probably the most dynamic woody allen movie poster ever because usually he has very stark graphics to represent his movies uh and really has for for a very long time uh and uh this is uh this kind of this poster, which is basically an artistic rendering of a of a shot from the movie, uh, but uh, it, it really seems to highlight the Vittorio Storaro uh, cinematography. Um, it looks like he's going to just go he's going to go all out making this movie look great, which he did with his last movie, uh, uh, Cafe Society. That was one of the best things about it was its look. Uh, but just, uh, you know, the talk of uh, Jim Belushi possibly getting a supporting actor, you know, nods uh, mm-hmm. for uh, for his work. It's got me kind of very interested. Of course, Kate Winslet, I always expect great things from her. Um, but uh, uh, and then I saw photos from it and it's got a few uh, Sopranos people. It's got uh, Stephen Sharippa and uh, uh who played Bobby Bacala, 
and mm-hmm. also uh, 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 Tony Sirico, who has uh, been in a lot of Woody Allen movies. But uh, murder know him. Yes. Polly <laughs> Walnuts. Oh yes, please. <laughs> well, so he was he was a he was a strong guy. He was. He, I heard stories of him uh, from someone who knew him back in the day in the in the sixties. As as being like a guy that would come and collect uh, money for from yeah. uh, club owners and stuff like that for protection, quote unquote. So, yeah, he worked. Uh, he was he was part of the Colombo crime family in New York. And the, yeah, yeah, yeah no, he was, he was. Yeah. So wait a second, Dean. You didn't like Shadows and Fog? <laughs> Shadows and Fog? Yeah, no, not really. I'm Actually. So <laughs> do, do I, I do, do do people like that movie? I I didn't. I, uh, I I don't think I've ever. I don't even know if I've seen, watched it in its entirety. It's so bad, you know. I don't know if I've ever seen it. In one I like that poster all. though. I mean, talk, talking oh, about posters, poster. I do like that poster. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. it does have a good poster. It's, it's, it, and it's Finn uh, Nickfus. Uh, yeah. Was his DP on that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. So. Uh, Another Twilight Time is Lawman from 1971 with Burt Lancaster, Robert Ryan, Lee J. Cobb. It's directed by uh, Michael Winter and uh, uh, has a great cast. Uh, a lot of tremendous character actors. Burt Lancaster, Robert Ryan. That's a lot Robert of testosterone. Ryan. That's a well, lot of testosterone, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, you know, wow, it also yeah. has, it has Cherie North, Robert Duvall, Albert Salmi. J.D. Cannon, John MacGyver, Joseph Wiseman, and Lou Frizzell. Remember that guy? He turned up in a lot of stuff in the mm-hmm. <laughs> early to mid-70s. He's the guy that's in Summer 42 who sells the condoms to uh, to Hermie when he goes to the drug store. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. If you need trivia help, Adam, I mean, Adam, you're giving trivia help to people here, I think, with a, with a, with a statement like that. So, <laughs> But you're well, totally right about people. the whole thing having lots of testosterone with Lancaster, oh, I mean, Robert, oh, yeah. Robert Ryan, and uh, Lee J. Cobb. Wow. God, <laughs> Michael Winter direction. That movie. I wouldn't yeah, want to yeah. be an intern on that movie. Bring me, my, bring me a coffee from the craft services, you punk. I mean, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually pretty good. I I, I watched it and oh no, it uh, sounds it, good. It sounds like a, it sounds yeah, like a good yeah. movie. and it, it's R rated too, which you know is a little more violence there than you typically see in these kind of movies. So uh, there's one character that shoots himself in the head in plain view of the townsfolk. So it's that's that was kind of shocking, but uh, anyway, time, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, 1953 film, uh, one of those early 3D uh, efforts. Is um, directed by Ra- Raul Walsh, uh, the guy who did High Sierra, of course. This is uh, Gun Fury, and stars Rock Hudson, Donna Reed, Phil Carey, and Roberta Haynes. And uh, of course, it also has the 2D version as well as the 3D version. So, well, uh, what about uh, director John Sturge's uh, Hour of the Gun, starring James oh, Garner, wow. Jason Roberts, and another Robert Ryan uh, performance here? And Albert Salmi's in this one as well. Jesus Christ! I mean, it's like the Robert Ryan Terry Gar Hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh, the retelling of the uh, the Wyatt Earp or Doc Holliday legend, uh, mm. kind of like the 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 big gunfight at the OK Corral, kind of restaging of that. But uh, um, you know, uh, and there's uh, beneath the Twelve Mile Reef, 
and this one's uh, directed by Robert D. Webb. It has uh, Robert Wagner, Terry Moore, Gil Holland, J. Carol Nash, Richard Boone, and Peter Graves, and Jay Novello, and Harry Carey Jr. So uh, it's wow. a really cinemascope effort. Uh, oh, it's and, in uh, scope? Yeah, it's in scope. Yeah, cinemascope, and it's is it uh, black and white. No, it's in color. Two rival okay. sponge, two rival sponge diving families produce a boy and a girl who fall for each other hard. Hmm. Uh, that's okay. That would be a better, better for the Gun Fury uh, tagline. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a, it's a, like a westernized Romeo and Juliet. It is. It is. It's uh, or an underwater Romeo and Juliet with two oh, families that okay. run a sponge. A sponge diving business. Mm. So, oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. So, I've, been, I've been looking for an underwater Romeo. That's your Twilight time for the month. And uh, here's a couple of Warner Archive uh, releases. And isn't it something? Uh, I'm sorry, Adam. Isn't it something yeah, that ahead, Robert no. Wagner did, uh, did a movie set underwater? Uh, of all people, Robert Wagner. Oh. Uh. Uh. <laughs> what kind of word doesn't float? Oh. <laughs> yeah, maybe all those years later he was uh, heart- remembering his experience filming Beneath the Twelve Mile Reef. <laughs> it's yeah. coming back to haunt you when you least expect it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of Warner Archive uh, releases that are worth mentioning. One is the John Landis vampire film, uh, Innocent Blood. Innocent Blood? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Starring John Rickles. Uh, yes. That's yeah, the one. yeah, how Robert... can you forget Rickles in that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Unforgettable, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. That's a very, very underrated movie, I feel. This yeah. is the movie that was supposed to really make Anne Parlot a, a star after La Femme Nikita, and she could never, she never was able to capitalize yeah. on. Um, I mean, but remember True. that was a big, big deal when it came out, or when you know it was supposed to be. Uh, there was Map of the Human Heart, and I think that's really it as far as. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. So. I wonder what she do a movie now. with Landis. Your 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 career is going to crash and burn. That's for sure. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the dark humor of this yeah. episode! Wow, great episode. this is what brings it. This is this is what makes this show so awesome. The dark humor. I mean, mm. uh, but okay. I mean, it started with where we talked about mother last week. So I mean, it's just we threw it out there. Mm. I mean. Yeah. What about the the 1969 uh, film adaptation of Robert of uh, the Ray Bradbury stories, The Illustrated Man? Which oh. Is, Rod Steiger, right? That's the one, Claire Bloom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have you this? This is one of those movies. Um, in all seriousness, I remember watching with my mom. It was on late, late at night on TV, and it freaked me out. I mean, this one I was very. I mean, this must have been like thirty, thirty-five mm-hmm. years ago, and I stayed up and watched it with her. And it was a, it's a freaky movie. I don't know how I would say. I would. I'd be curious to check that out again. Um, I really would. Um. I don't remember, uh, you know, uh, loving it. But uh, then again, I, I don't think that I've ever seen it all the way through. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it might be something worth worth checking out. I think it's worth. I would love to check it out actually at some point again. So, yep. I think uh, you know, I I remember reading about the makeup in it uh, mm-hmm. because they have to they have to. 
apply the um the ta- they had to apply the tattoo to him, uh, to Steiger. Which that's yeah. a lot of that's a lot of skin area to cover there, let me tell you. But they had to do his whole body, you know, they you know, the uh and uh I just don't see how they did that. That's it just mm-hmm. seems crazy. But uh, uh the uh the makeup is something that I would I would like to check out. Uh, and it's got a Jerry Goldsmith score, so that's good. It does. Yeah, and it has uh, it's filmed in Panavision, of course. I'm sure that'll look nice. And this is uh it does have that featurette as a bonus feature on here. It's called Tattooed Stiker is the name of the, <laughs> the bonus featurette. So Strangely enough, that's the name of my new band. Tattooed, Tattooed Stiger. Stiger. That's good. That's good. It's That's great. Good. I like that. I, it's, I, it's, yep. uh, it's it's Cajun punk. It's what it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and, wow. and halfway through every song, you'll just start screaming for no reason whatsoever. It's uh, yes. <laughs> yes. We well, are tat- We are tattooed Steiger. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, he he always did something, you know. And uh, Steiger actually said this, like. In every performance, he would reserve a little part where he could just lose his shit, where he'd just start screaming and hollering. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he, he would love screaming. It didn't even have to be motivated. Uh. So, you, you, so I think like one of the great blow-ups of his was in The January Man, where he, he's like talking down Harvey Keitel, and uh, I thought the man was going to have an embolism. I mean, it was just a fear outburst. Oh, God, I remember that uh, part. Holy, oh, wow, yeah. Okay. I think it's on YouTube. Like, can you believe this guy? It's like George C. Scott is saying, Jesus, man, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, famous screamer. In movie. Yep. So uh, the 1965 uh, racetrack drama... Uh, with James Caan, Laura Duvon, and Charlene Holt, Mariana Hill, uh, Red Line 7000, and directed by Howard Hawks. Uh, wow. Not the kind of, yeah, Howard Hawks directing a racetrack drama is not something that you normally see, but um I tried to watch it. I tried to watch it on, uh, they had it on Amazon Prime about a, a year or two ago, mm-hmm. I, and I tried to watch it. I, I couldn't get through it. Uh, Twenty minutes in, I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> wow, not as interesting as I thought it would be." Well, what about the Jerry Lewis film Funny Bones? That's another Kino release. That's oh, good. That's good. That's well, a I mean, good we, movie. That's a good yeah. movie. I mean, yeah, and uh, yeah, I agree. And uh, Love with the Proper Stranger, uh, Robert Mulligan. Speaking of Natalie Wood, whom we referenced a little yes. bit earlier. <laughs> Uh, Landley Wood and Steve McQueen, uh, Love with the Proper Stranger from 63. and uh, Did you watch that one? That's a widescreen movie, too, I think. Uh, and, yeah, uh, I didn't I didn't get that one. Uh, that's not. That's one they opted not to send me. So, uh, Bastards. It's not bad. I know. It's too not bad. Not a bad movie. Bad. Not yeah, a bad movie. I, I've Black always and wanted, white. And I'm, yeah, I'm a big Robert Mulligan guy, so I, I want oh, to he's see a, that. No, he's a great guy, great guy. Yeah. Yeah. And a summer night is another Lena Wertmuller from '86. It's another Kino release. 
Okay. And we were talking about her earlier. And uh, The Lost World, the 1925 version of The Lost World. Oh. Uh, has been uh, remastered. The 25 uh, version. So this is the Willis O'Brien version. That's the one. That's, yep. a, that's a fun movie if you've never seen it. Just a curiosity. But it's a fun movie. Just um, I remember they showed yeah. that. Was it that on Turner and then The Black Scorpion? Um, mm-hmm. This was a long time ago. And it's just interesting just to see. You know, guys, just to see how special effects can evolve. But it's also, in 1925, that was just uh, a marvel. I don't care who mm-hmm. you are. That must have been just insane to watch. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, it was definitely a trendsetter, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what about David Lynch, The Art Life? Uh, Criterion has issued this documentary as a standalone release. You would think this might be like a bonus, on a, but they've opted to release this uh, by itself. Yeah, now I watched this. This this is on uh, also on Amazon Prime these days, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> I watched it, and it's good. It's it's really particularly all about uh, his painting career and how the painting led to uh, um, led to his his filmmaking because he wanted to make moving paintings, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, it really stays away from uh, the the only film that it really uh, features that it really c- connects with eventually is is Eraserhead, but it's uh, a lot of shots of um, of uh, Lynch in his studio um, working on not only paintings but sculptures. Uh, uh, no music. Uh, lots of shots of him smoking and drinking coffee and just thinking, yeah. and uh, 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 and of course lots of shots of the art. So if you didn't know anything about all of that, uh, that that would be a revelation. Also, also lots of um, eight millimeter movies, real eight millimeter movies, not some reappropriated eight millimeter, but real mm-hmm. da- real Lynch family. Eight millimeter films of his uh, him and his childhood. So, yeah. uh, so all that stuff's really interesting. You know, if you're a Lynch yeah. fan, this will be something that you want to check out. There are quite a few documentaries about <clears throat> Lynch out there. It's, yeah, it's interesting how 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 many. Uh, I mean, because he's uh, especially like in the '90s and stuff, he really appealed to to youth, like up and coming filmmakers, and they mm-hmm. all said, "Oh, I'll make a movie about mm-hmm. David Lynch." and so we've had like four or five major documentaries about his work. He's probably been covered as much as any filmmaker out there in documentary form. Mm-hmm. This yeah. was one of the more interesting ones, I thought, because it took a different tack. Uh, and uh, I really appreciated the fact that it didn't it didn't have a lot, uh, many talking heads. Uh, uh, it's really just yeah. uh, there's there's a. Uh, just he does narr- Lynch does narrate it, but he's the only real narrator, and uh, uh, and the lack of music I thought, you know, being in there, you know, we didn't need that distraction. Uh, so I thought it was made very smartly. Yeah, after midnight from 1989, uh, Scream Factory uh, that was directed by the Wheat Brothers, Ken and Jim Wheat, who made one. I think they're. Biggest claim to fame was they did one of those Ewok films for TV back in the 80s. 
<laughs> yeah, wait, are those Ewok Return, films re- canon? Return to Endor. Are they, yeah, that's wait, it. That's those, the one. Yeah. Are they considered canon? Do I need to watch those again? That's <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Are they considered canon? Oh, God. I mean, if, they're not, if they're not, then I feel like I've wasted those four hours back yeah. in the break. <laughs> I think okay. you should okay. skip those. Yeah, I, you can. I, I don't know, Dean. I, I, I was always blue. I was always surprised that uh, the Wee Brothers didn't rise in the business side. I thought that they had a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, after midnight, if you're a horror fan, you probably know more about it than I do. Uh, Brigadoon uh, is a Warner Archive release. Oh. At least it's in Ooh. Cinemascope, of course. Another Cinemascope. Speaking of horror, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the 1990 version of Flatliners in uh, in conjunction, you know, with the uh, the with the remake. I guess yeah, the I, remake. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait not to see the remake. I really can't wait. <laughs> Thank I have, you. I have, I have no Thank you. I can't even sit through the freaking yeah. trailers. I'm like, oh. No, I'm, just like, I'm just like, really? You want to see? You just want to pull Ellen Page aside, honey. I can write you a check if you need if you're having trouble. Oh yeah, uh, that's, it's uh, two hours, two hours and twenty eight minutes, by the way, which is an incredible. The, the new version? director's cut. Oh. No, this is the. I'm talking about the new one. It's two hours and twenty eight minutes. That's the. We got the runtime. Oh, uh, we got an email on that. What so. the fuck happened? To, what the hell is going on? <laughs> they so they don't the, mind. The, the audience is. The audience is going to flatline. Yeah. Well, you know but, the runtime on the the new uh, Blade Runner is two forty five. So yes, well, I can see that. Getting I, trendy. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you got to. There's a lot yeah. to catch up on. I mean, so, you know, yeah, true, what happened to John Young? And you know, yeah. thirteen minutes of that is going to be credits anyway. So yeah, you true. might be right. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll move along. So Bride of the Reanimator has been released by Arrow. Oh, another one of those. Yeah. And uh, Cyborg 2087, which stars Michael Rennie and Wendell Corey and uh, Karen Steele. I remember Steele. that movie. Yeah, 1966. I fell uh, asleep one night watching it as a kid because I thought it looked really interesting. We're like, oh, it's got to stay the earth and chill. I fell asleep within 10 minutes according yeah. to my brother. But, um, yeah. That's a key by the way, 2087 is not the year it takes place. It's actually how many cyborg movies they've made up to that point. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, how about the film that uh, that Ed Wood scripted but did not direct, called Orgy of the Dead from 1965? Mm. Vinegar Syndrome has issued that one. Of course. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they've also issued another one that I did get a review copy on, and I'll have to say this one's pretty effective: The Trip with the Teacher. Which is a nice little drive-in uh, movie that stars um, stars Zalman King uh, oh. as a uh, stars as a, Zalman King. Whoa! Yeah, it stars him as a, as he he's a, a menacing. Uh, I guess he's a rapist or something. And there's a uh, a school of course bus. He is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, and that's I know it's not funny, but it's just the way you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's basically a psychopath who terrorizes these. Uh, there's, there's like an activity bus with a bunch of kids who are going to see the Grand Canyon. It breaks down, and he and this other guy terrorize the people on the bus. And it's it's actually pretty effective. And he makes a a pretty interesting uh, villain, I would say. So sounds uh, like the yep, it sounds like the second Jeepers Creepers movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a 
1974. It's one of these uh, released by uh, Crown International. So uh, anyway, there's a uh, 30th anniversary of the Princess Bride. What's that? Um, what's that one called? What's that one called? And what year is it? Uh, the Trip with the Teacher, 1974, from Vinegar Syndrome. So, wow. Salmon yeah. King was at yeah, it for a while. Yeah, you're getting all these titles, man. People are <laughs> I, thought, I thought Salmon King was like a late 80s phenomenon, but that's a, that's a No, he, uh, he, uh, he was a character actor all through the he 70s. Was. Uh, uh, he yes. was in a lot of TV movies. Uh, eventually he played Jesus uh, in 77 mm-hmm. in uh, the right. Passover plot. He did. He did. Yes. Uh, so yeah, he, be, before Red Shoe Diaries, he was a he was a you know v- very very busy working actor. Yeah. So uh, oh, but wow. yeah, I would I would recommend trip, trip with the Teacher. Uh, I mean, you know, it's not the best thing you're ever going to see, but it's it's it is fun. So uh, and certainly engaging and quick and breezy. It's like 85 minutes or something. So uh, mm. so the long the long riders. Uh, oh. the, uh, directed by Walter Hill. Uh, that's one of the best. Special. I mean, that's an awesome yeah. movie. I mean, the, 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 great. the trip to the teacher. You, you mentioned his trip to the teacher. Sort of, like, you know, like it cheapens the long riders, Adam. I didn't <laughs> really know that. Well, they have gone all out with the long riders. It's a two-disc special edition with uh, new interviews with all of the uh, the cast members who are still among the living. Uh, even Randy Quaid. I don't know how they managed to get this, but there's a new interview with Randy Quaid. Uh, Do they have to go deep undercover for this? I I don't know, but all I know is there is a new interview with star Randy Quaid. That's what it says, and it has a 61-minute documentary on the making of the movie, and uh, so it's... uh, it's really pretty extensive if you're a uh, if you're a fan of uh, the Long Riders. And if you've never seen the Long Riders, see it immediately because it, it is, is one of the great westerns. Mm-hmm. It's one of the great westerns. Yeah. One of Walter Hill's. I think it's one of my favorite Walter Hill movie of all time. Yeah, and I, I think, think it's, it's my awesome, favorite it's an awesome too. Movie. Yeah, it's I think it's awesome, my favorite awesome Walter movie. Hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just very well done. It's they got brothers, real life brother actors to play brothers. I, I always found that to be the most the first, the thing that really gets you interested in the movie, but it's just, it is like I think Walter Hill at the height of his powers. I really it is. That. It really is. So yeah, it's it got after, the, just just to let people know, it's got the Keach brothers, Stacy and James Keach. It's got the Quaid brothers, Dennis and Randy. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, it's got the Carradine brothers, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Robert, uh, David, and uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, uh, 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 Keith. Keith, Keith, yeah. Does it have the Wee Brothers? Yeah. That's what I want to know. No, it doesn't have the Wee Brothers. And it's got the Guest Brothers. It's got uh, Nicholas and uh, and Christopher Guest in it as well. So, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's it's so great. And the women in it are fantastic too. Pamela mm-hmm. Reed and mm-hmm. uh, Pamela Reed particularly is great in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, she but, is. Yeah, but it's it's very 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 good. Yeah. Uh, that's one they did not send, but I think I'm going to have to spring for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, Psychos in Love is another Vinegar Syndrome. That's 1987. <laughs> and uh, will uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the 1978 Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Michael Schultz directed, of course, Shout Factory. And uh, what more can we say about this one? I don't know. 
Yes, I mean, yes, it's, it's, uh, I'd love to say that it's one of the great bad movies, but it's just plain bad, uh, unfortunately, yeah. uh, and. Oh, you, What was that? <laughs> just a sound, a sound clip I have of Chris. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, that that perfectly uh, that perfectly encapsulates the movie. The only interesting thing in it is the very very end of it, where they have the they have the chorus, the crazy chorus singing uh, yeah. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band because it's oh, got yeah. it's got you know a, a crazy amount of people in there. It's fun to fun to see them all together. But that's about it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Well, here's one that is pretty good. Uh, Criterion, uh, the piano teacher, Michael Haneke's oh, the piano yeah. teacher. Oh God. Uh, yeah, that's a nice special edition with uh, some some nice extras. Uh, new interview with Haneke. New interview with Isabel Huppert. Uh, selected scene commentary uh, featuring Huppert and behind the scenes footage. So nice new transfer so uh that's that's a definite recommendation and i and i want to mention this one real quickly uh and this will be the last one here um they have uh and i don't know if this is going to be the beginning of something that they're going to continue on with but Warner archive has issued and this is only dvd uh not blu-ray but they have issued a five dvd collection of uh every uh animated short that porky pig Start in. There's 101 animated shorts from the Warner Brothers archives, and they're all there's a, there's a there's a warning on the back that says P- Porky Pig 101 is intended for the adult collector. So that obviously tells you these are all uncensored, uncut, uh, with the political incorrectness that ran mm. rampant back in those days. <laughs> mm. so, so this is what you posted on Facebook the other day. Yes, it is. Um, yes, it, okay, it's pretty that, amazing. Oh, wow. The Porky Pig collection, does it include the fat version of Carrie? In there? <laughs> also, the spell as a bonus, yeah. So, oh, and one other one I did man. miss. Uh, how about Space Camp? I'll, I'll leave it on that. I forgot about that one. Kino released that one. Uh, a movie that's a victim of current that was a victim of current events at that yes, time. Yes, it was. I mean, that's right. I mean, that was a that's. I mean, that's really what you know. That was that movie before before the Challenger incident. That was a Big, that was going to be a big deal, and the Challenger incident really just put that that movie just pushed it into oblivion. So I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yep. Leah Thompson, yeah. right? Is she in that? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Kate Capshaw. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. So that would, yeah, that would be a real trip back in time watching that one. Mm-hmm. I have to say. Yeah. And there's a there's a new interview with uh, Leah Thompson on the disc also, and the mm-hmm. director oh, cool. Harry Weiner. So yeah, yeah. So that uh, takes care of the Blu-rays for September. Another uh, month down. Another month <laughs> in the book. <laughs> uh, yep. Adam, I, okay. I, I, I would anticipate that next month's Blu-ray roster will be more horror-centric than usual, even. Yeah, there there are I, quite a Warner Archive is uh, they're really uh, amping it up for next month. Uh, they're doing the hid, the hidden, and uh, they're also doing um, the green slime <laughs> from '69. To me, man, don't do that to me, man. The green slime, Kinji Takatsuda. No, no, don't do that to me. Um, but, <laughs> we're, we're all forgetting what really what, what we're all looking forward to. What we're all looking forward to is the, the Saw box 
set that's going to come out on Blu-ray for the Jigsaw movie that's coming out, and we'll have <laughs> Lyric Bent. Lyric Bent will join us on that episode. When <laughs> <laughs> you got tackled, did, did it hurt? When you got tackled <laughs> in the trailer? Good Lord. We have to play that sound bite. We have to play that sound bite. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was the worst oh, ever. Man. Good Lord. Uh, let me take well, let me take another caller real quick. I I think this is uh, the biggest Saw fan in the world. Actually. Okay. <laughs> he was he was calling in last night. Oh, okay, let's cool. Take, let's take his call now. Seven one seven area code. You are on the air. You got a question for Lyric? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I hear you. I hear you're the biggest fan. What you got for me? <laughs> I am. I've been looking forward to this day since last night, and ever since actually I heard about it. All right, cool. Glad to have you here. You, you want to know anything about the uh, the new SAR? Yeah. Uh, in the this might be a dumb question, but in the trailer, like when you get tackled or something, was that you or? Yeah, that, that was that was that was me. Did that hurt? <laughs> <laughs> 